Linity, which I want to hear the squirrel. I want to hear the squirrel. All story. right, all right, all right. The squirrel story. God, I, I was for everyone listening. I was trying not to tell this story in public, but I'm not gonna not help out my boys here. Oh, we live so, now. Oh, cool. Oh, we're live. Yeah, Jay's like, oh, let me get, let me get my let me your get my bra Put your bra on, Jay. No, so I um. Anyways, one of the things I had to do uh for uh to for a brother as a pledge was how eat squirrel gumbo as a kid from Louisiana because he knew I was from the north and like we don't have squirrel. That was gumbo. like a hazing. Yeah, it was like a cultural hazing. That's hilarious because like that was like it wasn't often we did not like eat squirrel often but like I was on a farm and my grandfather was like. Let's do this. You know, you can eat this and clean it and whatever. Like, you can eat whatever. And we would do it was good. all that sort of thing. It was good. I mean, I yeah. no, I got no problems with it. So. so, so Jay, you're mostly vegetarian. Like, when do you break that? Like, for a fat, juicy steak? Like, oh, like maybe like once a month, I might do like, I, I probably wouldn't do steak. If I'm going to break it, it's going to be like something sugary rather than the meat and savory. Oh really? So, so I, I I I don't consume much sugar either. So yeah, I heard a fun fact that the average American in the colonial days drank uh, ate half a pound of sugar in a year, and now most people are doing that every two and three days. It's oh yeah, nuts. It's oh nuts. yeah, the sugar intake's crazy. And Jay, I did not know that about you because like most of my diet is essentially you know if you have twenty one meals in a week, we'll just say that I'd say seventeen to eighteen of my meals are vegan, um, and so. I do pescatarian though. So I have sushi like once or twice a month. Um, but other than that, you know, it's very like island diets. Um, and I know I have a friend from, geez, Trini, Trinidad and Tobago, and he, he's also pescatarian, but I, but it's interesting because growing up, he just like never had chicken. He had chicken for the first time when he was like 19. <laughs> um, wow. And he was like, what's the big, yeah. what's the big, what everyone gets so crazy about chicken. So anyways, uh, interesting. I didn't know that about you, but Maybe it's the island. Is, is is part of that the island? Do you do do you do fish? Yeah, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll do fish. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it is like a, a cultural thing, um, mm -hmm. like Rastafarian culture, and those, those people are pretty pretty healthy and uh, like they follow a philosophy of trying to consume as much natural things as you can. And hey, Ty, are you a Rastafarian? Not, not really. I mean, the, 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 there's a. Um, he says not really. I feel the, like he the, walks in like saying, the Rastafarian club and they're like, "Jay, you're back." <laughs> not, not, not at all, actually. But the, 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 there's a saying that people say, like, you know, I'm a ball headed Rasta. I'm like on the edge. I, I, so I, I'd say that I'm, I'm on. The so edge. like a cultural Rastafarian, you grew up around it. You were very normal to it, but like mm -hmm. you don't really pay attention to it. But there was just lifestyle stuff. Right, lifestyle, but not not from like a religion standpoint. Yeah. Someday we'll have to have the religion episode. Just talk straight ass faith structures. I'm very intrigued at faith structures. We should do it. We should do it. I'm into it. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I should totally. Yeah, I'd love to get into it. And I, I had, and I live in the in the uh, in the South, right? The Bible Belt. And I grew up charismatic Christian. We've talked about that. We won't go into depth, but I kind of get a a, a delight at the gym and stuff when someone in passing is like, "Hey, what church are you a part of?" I'm like. Do ask and like, like they're like you said what I said I didn't say what Jesus said what and they're like what and I'm like let's talk about it anyways we'll do that in another show let's talk about Cardano instead because actually this is a good segue Grant because what <laughs> I was about to say was in my head I'm like Christians like Cardano Rastafarians like uh, Bitcoin Cash is that accurate I feel like that's accurate <laughs> what. 
feel like that's making connection. Join Jesus in the Church of the Flying Sp- Spaghetti Monster is the goat religion. Yes, Tristan, thank you so much. Is the goat is this a real thing? Like it's just making stuff. I can't. You know what? It's so good. It's one of those things. Is it real? Is it not? You know. I like mythological structures, Tristan, and like I, you know, you guys may or may not remember. I did work in Haiti for years, and I was highly intrigued at voodoo. And it's not voodoo, it's voodoo, and it's not what we think. It has its whole own mythological structure, and it's very intriguing to me. Syncretistic religions are very intriguing to me. Um, Condomble, actual church. (laughs) You know what? I try to picture where people are when they're watching Not Crypto Bros. So guess, because I know where Tristan's from. Guess where he's from. Not necessarily where he's from, but like what work environment? Is he sitting at home? Or is he in like this long row of like matrix cubicles and he's just like actual church? Ha ha ha. Like, I don't know. He's like in the matrix, but he's just sitting here trolling on a live stream of three dudes. <laughs> no, Tristan is in, uh, I believe, uh, Texas, central Texas, if I'm not mistaken. But I think he's originally from Montana. Oh, he literally has this spaghettimonster.org link. Okay, I'm putting this on the screen. Yeah, put it so, on the screen. So, so we will talk about crypto and the end of days swear. in a second, but we're going to first talk about this. I'm calling it right now. We all four, Tristan, you included, need to partner and start a token for the Spaghettini monster. No, that's just a spaghetti monster. You wrote Spaghettini over here. The Spaghetti monster. We need to start a crypto, and I guarantee Nebraska, he's from Nebraska, and I guarantee we could sell some tokens, uh, which was biggest complaint I got from an auditor friend of mine as we debated in the public forum about the veracity of crypto and that'll segue us to micro pumps what's going on with micro pumps and what have you guys seen i'm gonna let you guys jump in and then i'm gonna get my whiteboard and draw you up a little picture of okay, a spaghetti monster we, we haven't no we no haven't no, no. of a pump of a oil. pump oh a micro pump oh <laughs> so this is a micro pump i don't care what you say mr haterade <laughs> it's not the haterade dude and and I would say this, why why are these why are these micro pumps important? Even if they're temporary, and we can talk about why they're temporary, but I'll float this. Even if they're temporary, they let the diamond hands, they give the diamond hands a moment of relief because they're it, not even relief on the money. But the diamond hands out there, and I'm not talking about DGen diamond hands holding Victor's bag of Shiba Inu Elon tokens. I'm talking about the, the believers that get it, who don't trade it and make money like Victor might, but who are just holding out and know the value of the underlying technology. And they're, they're under such pressure all the time that, look, see, I told you, like, I, I told Jarrett this, and Jay, you, you weren't around for this, I don't think. I posted on Facebook, and... I, uh, on Facebook, I said, Hey, what are your questions? What, what questions do you still have about crypto? And the immediate first two answers were none. It did exactly as I predicted. And I'm like, Oh my God. Like, but they're justified as long as it's down. And when it's rallying, I'm going to post the same question, you know? And I'm like, Mm -hmm. where are you at now? But I think that the people, the diamond hands who are purists, I think that micro pumps serve a good purpose. So yes, Jarrett, if it pumps 5%, give them their day. So that's my quick take on, on the micro pump. <clears throat> this will eventually be in the Louvre one day. Here is my <laughs> thoughts on micro pumps. 
Is it backwards? There's 2020 going all the way down to 2023. And there's the little micro pump. And literally everyone's like going to their Lambo dealership to see if they can get a lease. That is hilarious. Yeah, it's mirrored. If you zoom out. It's mirrored so like it's up into the. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it is? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's. I'd have to turn my thing around. Anyways, (laughs) if you look at the long-term trend over two years, it's going down. Yeah. Um, And this is a nice little pump. Um, <clears throat> my feeling though, and Grant, this is actually what I want to talk about. And Jay, I think we started to talk before you hopped on the, uh, the, the stream here before we went live was I'm seeing Goldman Sachs lay off people, right? I'm seeing Coinbase, Brian Armstrong came out today and said, we're going to lay off 20 to 25% more of our employees. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I see that, and then I read in Yahoo finance, they put this thing up. Uh, recently from the World Bank, and it says World Bank slashes 2023 forecasts, warns of global recession. Yeah, The development lender said it now expects global GDP growth of 1.7% in 2023, the slowest pace outside the 2009-2020 recessions in uh, nearly three decades. In its own previous global economic prospects report in June of 2022, the bank had forecasted uh, global growth at 3%. So it's cut that almost in half. So when I see all these things, I think global recession. I think 2023 is going to be a zombie year for crypto, et cetera, for the markets in general. But Grant had another idea. Um, and I want him to now share that and then we can kind of discuss it. Let's do it. I like alternatives. <laughs> like the alternative to the Church of Jesus Christ is the spaghetti monster. Um, <laughs> like, Bitcoin Bitcoin cash. Cash. <laughs> like Bitcoin BSV. Um, uh, so my take was this, as soon as Jarrett told me this, my thinking Jay was, oh, that's great. It means it's a sign that there's hope for us to come out of the recession. He's like, what? And my take on this is, is no, like the companies cut their four, their, their staff by 20 to 25%. They do it with enough time so that their earnings report gets boosted by the next dividend mm-hmm. and, or, or earnings call. And on their next earnings call, this news comes out. Oh, we're profitable. We're in the green or in the black again. And everything is going to be okay. Now, that creates a sense of, oh, we've done what it takes as a society and we'll get there. Now, that's contrasted with employment reports because that gets thrown off with employment reports. So that messes with people's heads. But I think culturally, there's a sigh of relief at the earnings reports phase when companies start reporting positive and then you see the market reflected a little bit. So now it's sideways up instead of sideways down. It's a sideways market still and it's in in that channel. The market is in recession, but it just feels like it's red all the time. But the truth is, in fact, I saw this in the book Money. Uh, I think I told you guys about this, the book Money, that um, a true story of a made up thing and it showed a chart in since inception, we've only been in a recession, I think it's like 14 years and the rest have been bull markets. Mm-hmm. And so like just recessions feel so big, but I think that it's actually a sign, uh, a light at the end of the tunnel. It's a sign of hope that, oh, okay, the other markets will come back around, positive markets will happen. So that's my take. What do you think? Jay, what do yeah. you think there? I feel like it it's a complicated conversation to have because it's it's like 
when we start talking about um, markets recovering, a lot of times the financial markets recover before the economy does. And so that might be some of what you're seeing in, in those graphs. It's that, yeah, it only took, it's only been 14 years of recessions, but, you know, the actual people start feeling the crunch before the recession happens and they feel it for a long time after the recession happens. Like people still haven't figured out how to buy a home after 2008. You know what I mean? There's still people who are homeless since 2008. Um, and so it's kind of tough to have that conversation because there isn't like a whole lot of data to, to really uh, talk about what, what the individual person is feeling. But then at the same time, I think about like all of that you see central governments, uh, central banks trying to do, uh, you know, and, and the metrics that, that they have available to them. And that sort of hinders them as well because they don't have a lot of information that will allow them to make specific, specific decisions about what's actually happening with the people on the ground. So they're using metrics like uh, unemployment and uh, inflation and stuff like that. And that more or less affects a level of society that most of us, you know, aren't a part of. And I think for, for this recession or this year, like if we end up going into a really bad recession or even a depression, um, it'll be probably be a lot of people are going to say that this is induced by the central banks, by the fed and the European central bank and, and so forth because of the lack of data that, that they, they're using to make their decisions. Jay, I love that. And I want to shout out, uh, Tr Tristan made a comment here in a second. And I think you're hitting on something that's super important about nine months ago, <clears throat> maybe, maybe less, maybe May or June. That's kind of when I stopped buying into crypto. Um, I said to my father, I said, look, we're, we're, we're headed towards, this is not good. Things are going down. Asset prices are going down. Uh, layoffs are coming. Inflation is rising. This is not good. And what he said was, well, it's tough to say exactly as you said, Jay. It's a tough thing for us to kind of look at and understand because one of the metrics that we constantly use in society to figure out whether the economy is good or not is unemployment. And unemployment numbers are still, and once again, this is a very US-centric uh, data figure, data yes. points. But in the US, the unemployment is still really low. Mm -hmm. And I think the way the unemployment is, and so people will say, oh, the economy's fine. It's not that bad. Keep looking at that. Keep looking at that. Yeah, the asset prices are down, but the unemployment's down. Um, you know, so it's not that bad. And my thing is since 2008, and since I learned how unemployment was kind of figured out in the United States, I think until we solve that metric, the canary in the coal mine, it's harder to see. It's harder to, to kind of get that, that bellwether thing that's going to tell you, okay, this is bad. Because I think you're spot on, Jay. I think they're understanding, and now we can go into Tristan's point, but understanding, you know, how much the average person was hurt before, even 2008 is probably the worst example, but right now, right? If we say, okay, recession started January 1st, 2023, let's just say that recession probably started for me about nine months ago, things started to get bad. Layoffs started to happen. And I think this will last somewhere until mid-2024, and then there's going to be the election. And I think in and around then, we're going to turn the printer back on, at least the Fed will, because they're going to stop rates, uh, you know, increasing their rates. All that to be said, I think many people will still feel the burden net from today then. And a lot of that is due to credit, 
They're going to have run their credit cards up. They're going to have to get into payday loans. They're going to have to do whatever they have to do to kind of make ends meet. Because if you go to the supermarket, no matter where you are on the planet, they literally don't care in what country you are. Your food has gone up by 15 to 20% on average. Mm -hmm. yeah. And some of your specialty products have gone up even double or triple. And so now let's go to, to Tristan's point, And maybe we could throw this to, to Grant as we rotate here. But, you know, uh, Tristan said on Jay's point, uh, what is the, re quote, recovery period between financial markets recovering versus inflation spikes leveling out? So, Grant, I throw it to you, but maybe it's also for Jay. Well, I, I think I'd like Jay to answer this because I'm, I'm trying to piece this together a little bit. Jay, do you have better insight on where Tristan's going with this thought on recovery period between financial markets recovering and inflation spikes leveling out? They don't seem... They seem inversely correlated, so I'm not really sure where he's going. What are your thoughts here? Yeah, I feel like whatever the recovery period for the financial markets, let's say it's six months to a year, okay. it'll probably be at least double that for for inflation. And like, and this sort of like goes back to the conversation that was happening where like inflation, the the Federal Reserve so far has been sort of like tracking inflation versus unemployment, like you were saying, and, and unemployment numbers are still still pretty low. And so, you know, like it seems clear to me that on it, the the wage wages aren't the thing that that's driving inflation right now. It's it's something else. It, it it's not. It it seems like it's on the supply side. It, like it seems like it it's something to do with with companies and how they are pricing their goods. You know, post. Uh, post pandemic, right? Prices had to go up in the pandemic and we just, they just haven't figured out how to get them back down. And part of that, I think, is because so many companies hired all of these employees to sort of keep up with the uptick in, in business that, that they were experiencing during the pandemic. The example that I heard recently, I think, was Snap, you know, the, um, Snapchat, the, uh, yeah. the, 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 the app, parent company, yeah. they, they doubled their workforce from 2019 to 2022, doubled, like twice as much. And most of that was along like, yo, we, we've got so much business right now that, you know, we, we, we need employees to keep up with it. But what, what, what they see happening right now is like, okay, so business is slowing down, got this huge workforce that, that we no longer need. Let's try to get rid of these people as quickly as we can so that when next year comes around, when, when 2023 comes around, we don't have this massive debt that, that, that we have to carry forward. And so you see companies like Facebook, like Twitter, like uh, Coinbase, who are do doing what you said, Grant, trying to get ahead of the curve and fire people early so that when earnings come along, it, it looks a little better for them. Um, so in the end, it's going to be, it's, it's going to be a tough, tough time, I think. Yeah. Go ahead, Jerry. Yeah, Jay, I think you're spot on. And I think the pandemic, so when the pandemic hit, I remember reading this stat and I think it was like the wall street journal, but basically normally people spend like 14% of their money on goods and services every month, 7% on goods and 7% on services. But when the pandemic hit, the services fell. No one was going to the movies. No one was going to the theater. No one was going to restaurants. No one was going to get ice cream. No one was doing any of the services, right? 
And so, you know, I was going to the bar, right? That's the service industry. That's the food industry. So then all of that 7% essentially got drained into goods. So then what happens? The demand for goods increases. Amazon yeah. ends up doubling their workforce, force, I think from like 800,000 to 1.6 million. Yeah. And because there was just so much, all that money, then when people were like, well, we got to spend it. So then Be they like started it. buying goods. And now the swing is back. And one of the things I'm looking at, if you don't follow Yahoo Finance on Instagram, I, I just think it's one of the best things. They have a lot of macro stuff and I love it. And they put this out today and I'm not going to hold it up, but it, it talks about Lululemon's soaring inventories. So basically in 2020, mm. 2021, all of these companies were like, wow, our goods are going crazy. Everyone wants Lululemon pants. Everyone's sitting around at home now, whether they're lounging because they're unemployed, they want more comfortable wear when they're working from home, whatever it may be. So Lululemon, this is just a super anecdotal example, but I think it's a salient one. They ramp up their production, right? Yeah. And because the good is the goods are in demand. Now, if you look, they have such a crazy amount of inventory because they ramped up for 2020 and probably into 2021. But even in 2021, the sales started to go down. They tried to keep it going for 2022 because now they have to you know, pay more. And then it started to go down and now they have huge inventory. So all I'm trying to say here is that over the next six months, I think in retail stores, we are going to see unbelievable discounts as companies are trying to move their wares, especially in fast fashion or anything that has to do with any kind of clothing. They mm -hmm. have to get them out. They have to do something. Uh, and so that's mm. kind of what we're seeing. And I don't think we've ever had this like so condensed, you know, where there was such a demand almost night and day where people in between March, mid-March to like mid-May turned off services almost overnight and they increased goods. Yeah. Um, and we're kind of coming to back to a leveling as the world has quote opened up and people are going out to restaurants again. And, you know, COVID is now just kind of like the flu. Um, people are still dying from it. I don't want to downplay it, but yeah. we have a bigger handle on it. A lot of people have either had it. So they have natural immunity or they have, you know, a synthetic immunity through the, through the, uh, you know, through the vaccine. So it's yeah. interesting to see how that plays and then how the workforce plays. Cause I saw this stat, you know, it was like Amazon laid off 18,000 people. I think this happened last week and somebody tweeted, yes, that is a huge amount of people, but considering they hired 800,000 in the previous 16 to 24 months, that is a drop in the bucket and things yeah. are actually okay. They may be just shifting a little bit. So I think those are really good things to keep in mind. Um, we have a bunch of other comments. I want to, I want to call uh, Tristan's. I said exactly the S and P 500 being up seven points is great. But if eggs are 10 or $18, that doesn't solve the problem of 90% of the global population. Um, Tristan said 10 bucks for a dozen and a half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah 10 bucks. Yeah, exactly. Uh, same, th sorry, not 10 or 18 bucks. 10 bucks for 18 eggs, my bad. Uh, yeah, yeah. Same thing with Salesforce. Doubled workforce between 20 to 2022 and just laid off 8,000 people yesterday. So I definitely think the party, if you will, is over from the pandemic for a lot of these companies and all their earnings. And they're kind of in a hangover stage and people are leaving the house party, <laughs> yeah. as it were, for lack of better analogy. Analogy. And then Jamarly says, Happy New Year, amigos. What's so, up, Jamarly? How are you doing? Happy, happy New Year. What's up, buddy? Hey, Jared, I, I think you're spot on with this. And I think what, what you're saying correlates to why you still see such high prices. Because if you've got all of this inventory that you paid for, you've got all of these employees that you hired, you have to keep prices high, especially as people buy less of your services like you can't reduce prices and then have less income with more expenses you got more higher expenses you need more income and people are buying less than you need to increase your prices and that's 
that I think is what's driving inflation. Like I was saying, it's on the supply side. It's, it's that they can't figure out how to make back all of the money that they've spent preparing for the pandemic. And, and it wasn't even really preparing, Jay. In some sense, it was reacting, mm-hmm. right? Because it just yeah. kind of happened. And all of a sudden, the world reacting, closed. And yeah. everyone, and because they're reacting and no one was able to prepare, there was no thought in place. So all of a sudden, Lululemon's like, holy crap, they want, people want so many more leggings. We have five times the demand of leggings that we have. All right, well, let's, let's make seven times so we cover any future. And at some point, everyone got that equation wrong. And now they're tapering that back with layoffs and other things. And I think the inflation is also the Ukraine war. It's throwing off the energy. There's an energy crisis right now uh, in that part of Europe. Um, You also have a lot of climate stuff happening in between the Middle East and the north of Africa. We're talking crazy droughts, crazy flooding in Pakistan. Pakistan is where a lot of cotton and a lot of, you know, a lot of textiles come from these places. Mm -hmm. Um, China is also potentially... I don't know, maybe they don't want to play nice with certain countries in the future and they're starting to pull back and they're a huge production hub. And we still have supply chain issues all around the globe where, you know, even if it's like we don't have truck drivers between, I don't know, New York and Delaware, even these little things have a huge effect. Yeah. Well, let's talk about China. So part of what I was thinking is a lot of what's happened in terms of the downturn of the economy has happened while China was closed off for COVID. But now they're open again. Or they've been open for the last week or so. You know, the Chinese people you know, took, took to the streets and, and then they were able to win themselves some, some freedom. Um, so what does that mean for the global market now that China's opened up again? Do you think that changes anything? Grant, what do you think? Several things here. Uh, and I will answer that, but... I- my context for my answer is with a, a, a feedback I had here or a little pushback on Tristan's comment here, not pushback, but paradigmatic differences. When we ask this question of exactly the S&P 500 being up seven points is awesome, but if eggs are $10 for half a dozen and a half, that doesn't solve the problem for 90% of the global population. And this pointed out to several charts I've been pulling up and looking at while you gents have been talking, because the question in my mind is what form of fucking witchcraft are we doing? to figure out what direction the market is going. We've got the price of eggs. So I literally pulled up the the global price of eggs and it's, uh, let me see, it's 106 different countries for a dozen eggs in India, it's 92 cents. India and the United States is one of the higher ones. It's like three and a half dollars. Switzerland and Iceland are the highest, it's six bucks. So we go, well, they're doing fine on eggs. So is that our measure? And, and it's like, well, what's inflation? What are they used to paying? Oh, like, it, so what is, what is the relative use of paying? So then I said, well, what other magic metrics do we use to decide which direction the market is going? So I looked up the Chicago Board of Exchange, otherwise known as the CBO, mm-hmm. and it's put to call ratios. We're talking about market sentiment. And market sentiment, if investors are buying a bunch of puts, that's an indication they don't have a lot of faith in the market. But right now, this, and I can drop this link in the comments. The SIBO um, put-to-call ratio is like 0.58, which means, there's a, which means there's only one put for every two calls, which means market sentiment from an options trader is relatively high. But then if you look at, um, uh, there was another indicator I had pulled up, um, overbought versus oversold, so at the RSI indicator. 
Um, and it was like, well, we're undersold, but it's trending higher. It's on its way up. And then I dropped two additional links in the comments already. The greed sentiment from AI, AAII, we're moving into a greed sentiment. Literally, it's trending up. And then if you look at uh, the, the fear and greed index, the last time, Jared, you just posted this a few days ago. The fear and greed index was, was totally in a fear uh, bucket. But over the last week, it's gone neutral on its way to greed. And so when I think about all of these metrics from the S&P up, the question I have is this for Tristan, for you guys, what, what, what omens are we looking for? For what reason? He makes a great point at the individual level. The global population is still suffering from inflation. Get it. So who benefits from the S&P being up seven points? American financial institutions and traders and investors like me, or maybe Jay with some of his trading and technical analysis. And then as you pointed out, uh, Jared, uh, Jay ha Jared has a phenomenal chart about the coupling of crypto DeFi to Trad5. And if the financial markets are doing okay, there's massive ripple effects for Bitcoin. And I actually think what we've been calling a micro pump over there is actually correlated to what we're seeing in TradFi. And so what does that mean for me? Well, I get hopeful because my, my investments are going up, but I still feel sad for people that are paying $10 for 18.8. So my question is, what do we care most about and what are we looking for as we look at these things? So when they fire people from big companies, I love it. I feel bad for the individuals. But these companies are right side up. And when the companies are right side up, institutional investments right side up. When institutional yeah. investment is right side up, the market gets happy and individuals who got fired can now have more hope for what's next. So do I care about the individual or the system? Mm. And, and, and so like my point is, is I, get, I start to get turned around like, what is it I care about? So my question, you guys, as you're looking for these, what are you, are you looking for signs of hope? Are you just looking for points of empathy? Or is that, or is that, go ahead, go ahead. Well, one of the things I, I used to, um, one of the things I used to do in a, in a few years ago, uh, here, while I'm here in Canada, I used to work for this project called Canada's food price report. And okay. their, their, their whole thing is they. The jobs you have had, Jay. Yeah. The jobs you have had blow me away sometimes. Continue, please. <laughs> Jay has been a judge in one life. He's been the robber in another life. And he's been like the jail guard in the next life. Yeah, man. And the That's DJ. Hilarious. And the DJ. Keep going. I'm sorry. No, all good. All good. Yeah. So the, their whole thing was they, they tried to predict food prices in Canada. And then we could do it really good. Like we could predict restaurant prices within 99% uh, accuracy. Hmm. And um, That's big. And the, the, the one thing that we always looked at every year was the VIX index, the volatility index. Okay. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and, you know, like, I, I think that the whole reasoning behind why volatility index worked so well for us is because it, it basically takes into consideration how a lot of different people are responding to all of the same information. Yes. That's interesting. So I, like, those are the kind of metrics that, that, that I really sort of try to look out for. Like how are people responding to various bits of information okay. and, and not just sort of what, what is the information telling me in particular? 
And what was that trend? What were some of the trends you saw from that? Uh, well, well, like, but, but like right now, like VIX, VIX is obviously very, very volatile, but it's, it's kind of like trending upwards. The highest has ever been is in 2008. And I think it was at like, uh, on a scale of zero to one, it was at like eight. Okay. 0.8. Um, 0. 0. 0. 0. 0. 0. 0. 0.8. I thought you were going to scale from zero to one. It was eight. I think your scale's broke, Jay. My bad. On a scale of zero to one, it got to like 0.8. And that, that was the like highest we've ever got. It's about like halfway there right now, but of course oscillating between like 40 and 20 on like on yeah. a weekly basis. But if you pay attention to what's happening, it's actually sort of slowly creeping upwards. And, and so that's, to me, signals that at least from, if you take a step back from a long-term perspective, we've, volatility has been increasing, but it's also like an indication that people are less sure about what's happening. And when, when, when you don't have that level of, of surety, I think that that's when stuff starts to go wrong. Well, and, and I guess, I mean, as humans and, and with uh jared's humanitarian background with my own jay with knowing you we care deeply about what the average person is experiencing but i think we have to remember that there is um leaders in a market and laggards in a market or depending on when you look at the trend they're just they're they're on different parts of that sign curve of what's going on and so i look for what's going on in in a recession when we're in it I look and care deeply about what's going on at the institutional level because that will create the breakthrough for what's coming next. It's hard to see what institutions are. I mean, it's hard to have that same thing when we're at peak fervor. I then watch the people because when the people are at peak confidence, that's when I know the bottom's going to drop out. And so like, so when we see seven points up for the S&P, I get hopeful, but it doesn't solve for 90% of the global population. I'm like, you're right. But right now I don't care because if I'm listening to the people, we're going to stay in this recession. Hmm. If I'm, if I'm rooting for the institutions, it's going to help people to a degree. We've got the federal reserve, we got inflation, but remember inflation is in countries that don't have our banking system too. Inflation happens. Go ahead, Jerry. Infl Jerry. Yeah, I was going to say, inflation is a global problem. There's not a place in the planet that's not dealing with inflation. And if you are on the dollar or the euro or the pound, it may just seem less. But a lot of countries, and I'm just going to use Colombia once again because it's super low-hanging fruit for me. Colombia is not only dealing with uh, price increases of its goods. It's also seeing its currency relative to what it's pegged to the dollar die, right? That is an issue. That is, that, is a, that is a bigger problem. And Grant, you, you've asked essentially, do we have empathy for the individual or do we see hope for the system? And I think that, right? Isn't that, I'm, I'm trying yeah, to- Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a screwy question. That's what I, it's, a, it's an odd question, but it's the one coming up in me. Go ahead. Yeah. And so if we think of the system as the forest and the individual as the tree, I think we're trying to constantly, at least on this show, see both at the same time. And that's really difficult. Because I think it we're is. trying to show up for the individual and say, yeah, like we really, you know, Tristan's like, great. Yes, you know, the system is up 7%, but 90% of the planet is struggling now to buy eggs, right? So then what's the real point here? Like, what are we, what, what, are, what eggs are we actually cracking, right? Like, do we want to make this omelet? And 
for me, it's like as a long-term investor, as someone who's just buying and holding, I'm just kind of trying to see where the system is for an entry point to buy in as the individual. But like long-term, I'm not worried about the system. Long-term, I, at least for the next 10 to 15 to 20 years, like long-term, the governments will print money. The rich who have the ability to be able to hold assets, once again, as Tristan said, who cares if it's up seven points with 90%? Most people on the planet have zero exposure to synthetic uh, assets like stocks, right? Or government bonds. Or if they hold government bonds, they're in currencies that are going to fall out, right? Yeah. Or they're giving one or 2% when inflation is 5%, aka you're losing money by buying those things. So mm -hmm. most people on the planet don't actually have investment vehicles. So I think that that's where you really need to focus on, okay, then how can we help the 90% make sure they can get their eggs, get their normal food yeah. basket, pay for their yeah. rent, pay for their mortgage? essentially also not get into toxic debt or take on toxic credit. So, and that's what we're dealing with right now. And those are the things that I'm kind of seeing and I, and I get really worried about like there's, and this is so anecdotal, right? And a lot of this stuff on the tree level, not at the forest level is super individual when you're trying to figure out how do we, and you know, how do, how do we correct? What do, what do we do in the market? And the other night on TV, there was a commercial for this local furniture company and they were offering 60 months, if you buy their credit card or whatever, 60 months and you don't have to pay anything, like no interest, zero interest loan for 60 months. That tells you how bad the average tree or individual is within the forest, which is society, that they want to go out and get their couch and they're going to put it on 60 months, zero interest on it. They're going to open up a credit card, essentially. That to me is insane. I've never seen that before. I've seen that for cars, but cars offer a little bit more utility. They'll take you to a job. They'll take you to something you want to go do. They may take you to a restaurant. You know, they're, they add a little bit more value, I think. But yeah. a couch, 60%, 0%, 60 months, 0%, that to me was like, wow, I've never seen that. So look out as you see more opportunities that tie into your credit. Like if you buy anything in the United States right now, there's probably going to be an option that might pop up and be like, pay in four, you know, four different things, pay through Klarna, pay over the next four months. Instead Florida. of just paying, you know, the hundred dollars straight up, people were like, no, I'm going to pay 25, 25, 25, 25 because it's at zero interest. But some people may really need to do that just due to their finances and their budget. And so those are the things that I look for on the individual pain. How, how is credit being sold to the forest so the trees can take advantage of it? And right now I'm seeing a lot of opportunity to do that, which leads me to believe that people are hurting. Sales are down, as we've talked about, of goods. And so the system is trying to correct and because we live in the credit system, it's trying to correct and basically give people money that doesn't exist that they can pay back later. Mm. Jay, when you're looking at indicators in the market, is it as simple as you're looking for where to invest yourself or you're looking to understand or you just want to feel good about, hey, I made an accurate prediction. Like, what are you looking for when we look at these indicators? What are you looking at? Yeah, like uh, right, right now, what I'm doing, I'm trying to get a sense of where the market is heading. Like, is like I, I'm I'm with you guys that we're in the moment where it's probably optimal to start investing because we're we're in that stage where we're probably as low as we're gonna get. Like in that trough, might get a little lower, but you know it's gonna fluctuate Jay, in that channel. Did you say the I word? Invest. I see. Jay, <laughs> look at the smile on it. I think Jay Lowkey's got like eight cold storage full of Bitcoin. He's just like, uh, it's whatever. 
<laughs> yeah, we, we should talk about cold storage. I saw this out. It's really cool. Very storage device. It goes right into cold storage. He's like, I've yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so That's so like I, I'm trying to figure out like, okay, it looks like we're we're in that good space, but I'm I'm also trying to figure out okay, when exactly is the market getting ready to turn? You know, like when does that's that's it the rsi or prices break to the point where i can feel confident and say okay we're heading upward no it it may not be consistently upward but generally going upward and not further down so for me my answer to this question is timing and that's what you're saying jay i'm looking for timing but not only for me the empathy, I don't want to get over the empathy because not crypto bros. Yes, it's about crypto. It's about financial freedom, but you cannot experience financial freedom if you don't know how to experience freedom. And by that, I mean, I could give you a lot of ticket for a million dollars, but if you don't know how to take care of it, manage it and celebrate that, you're just going to be full of, you know, butterflies in your stomach the whole time and lose a ton of money. And I, uh, my hope for not crypto bros or any content I put out there is to bring sanity to people. And so Tristan raises a really humane question, you know, so these points are up, so what? Well, the so what answer to that is to me, I picture like surfing. I try to get a pulse of that next set rolling in and where's the peak, where's the low, what's going to be the big pulse, like the big wave of the set It's usually the third wave in the set, just FYI. But when you're out there, like where you always have to guess, ask yourself, where am I in position to the set to go for a ride? And that's what I'm looking for with these marketing indicators is like, is this now the right moment to get in? But I'm hoping people listening don't feel that like, well, we don't care about you or inflation, but kind of like the fuck your feelings sort of thing. Your feelings are what often gets you upside down. Yeah. The, the critiques that I got on this post I did on Facebook of what are your crypto questions? Everyone's like, it did exactly what I was saying. Look at all these scams. Everyone lost money. And it's like, yeah, but like, like, any investment, crypto aside, like I, my first investment ever in the traditional markets, I think I told you guys this story. My buddy is, is an options trader and he mentored me on options trading and he taught me about leverage. I'm like, oh, this is cool. I, I hadn't bought a stock in my life. This and I'm going, no, <laughs> no, this is an old school buddy. And my, my income at the time, my entire income at the time was something like $800 a month. Like, and it's hard to imagine that now, but this was like, uh, literally like 2000 going on 2001. And, and I, I was a minimalist and I was fine, but it still took me about six months working overtime to save the $1,600 I needed to put into this con, uh, options contract. Six months working at nights. I, I was working in a an engineering department as an intern, but then at night I was also doing uh, janitor work and doing all kinds of whatever I could. $1,600, the most amount of money I had ever had in a bank account to that point, I was sitting in the bank account. I opened up my bank account, bought my options trade, and lost it in 15 minutes. <laughs> Yo, <it took> you. <laughs> hey, bro, who did I blame? Who did nobody. You? Oh, I, nobody. I was I like, oh, did you make a list? Like, No, no. <laughs> I didn't go and say the S&P is a scam. I didn't go to anyone and say it was a rug pull. I said, I must not know what the hell I'm doing. Right. And, and instead I could have done it. I could have pulled a J special and spent six months investing in myself. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. But my point is, 
special. That, that's the new way to call it, the J special. Investing PhDs. He has a PhD on getting PhDs. There's great ROI in that. Uh, but my point simply is this, like, my hope is not to ignore the fact that inflation is real, but you will never solve inflation. In fact, I wish the average person would drop the conversation. Yes, we need to go vote and minimize the federal banking system. Go vote. But you know the Rothschilds conspiracy alert are never going to let that happen. So let's quit trying to solve that. Let's even quit talking about it because we have to find ways to leverage ourselves and fling our income far beyond that. And I know that's a big lift. It's a heavy lift. But like, I, I have yet to find anything that I could do where I go, oh shit, look, that affected my Im the impact of my uh, purchasing power parity. That's fantastic. It's never happened. But I have done things to put more money in the bank account, if that makes sense. And timing the market is the only thing I've ever seen. Nearly Grant, timing the market, what? The, uh, I, I love that story and I love that you shared like a pretty big fail, but also one of the big fail. A bigger L's, not a loss, but a lesson, right? Where you were oh. like, oh, the only person I can blame is myself, right? Yeah. Like, and I actually <laughs> just dropped an episode today, shout out more than blockchain. And it was the first episode I've done per recommendation. This guy, Joseph, we connected on LinkedIn. Maybe he's watching. I don't know, Joseph, if you're there, hop in the comments. And I said, you know, he's like, I listen to your pods. I think they're great. And I was like, well, do you want to hear anything? Like, let me know what you want to hear. And he said, you know, I really want you to talk about Bitcoin scarcity. So last night I put together a pretty simple pod, just a lot of napkin map looking at, you know, how many coins there are, what, what's out there, if we divide it, what's going to happen. And it's funny, the, the name of the pod is Bitcoin is so scarce, point zero, uh, point 0.1 or one tenth of Bitcoin is a lot. And I break down why I believe that to be not only today, but in the future. But the reason why I say I think it's a lot now is because to buy one tenth of a Bitcoin today is about $1,700, which is so close, Grant, to the number you just said is 1,600. And the thing I say at the end, and I kind of go into more of a diatribe about humanity and the unequal economics, and you know, if you're on the dollar, it's better than being on the Argentine peso kind of thing, um, is that my number, and I want to run this by you, is that 95% of the people on the planet probably can't even afford, even if they wanted to, $1,700 to buy one-tenth of a Bitcoin, even today. And crypto is at the lowest. It may be, as Jay says, it's in the bottom of the trough. So if you can't, you know, put that type of money in today or even six months or even over 2023 to hopefully get that one tenth of a Bitcoin, it is so scarce. A, Bitcoin is so scarce. And B, the purchasing power that people have or their ability to invest is it's a privilege. It is it is by it is. far, I think, one of the greatest privilege a human has. Uh, on this planet is to have enough money to say, you know what? My tomorrow is okay. My next week rent is fine. My food for the week is good. Let me put some money into 10 years from now. Let me put some money aside so my child can go to private school and they're 10 and they're newborn. That yeah. to me is one of the biggest privileges in our capitalist society. So I kind of lay that out, but I wanted to bring that up because you talk yeah. about 1600 being a lot back 20 years ago. Huge. And I'm still saying 1600 today is a lot when there's almost a billion people that live on $2 a day, right? When yeah. there are so many people that even in the world still don't have electricity, still don't have water, still don't have, you know, reliable access to strong internet like we do. And here we are, here we are comfortably, streaming. you know, yeah. streaming, talking yeah. about investments. So 
I want to throw that out. But it's interesting that even 20 years later, $1,700 or in and around, even with inflation and the devaluation of currency, as we've kind of seen, you know, mm-hmm. um, it still is a sizable amount of money that may be unattainable for many people. You know, in the international development work that I did, um, you know, well, pairing that with the work I've done with, you know, very wealthy people and multimillionaires and da 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 the, the wealthy always tell me this, wealth is defined as how long you could live if you stopped working today. Wealth is a measurement of time. It, it, a, time is the currency of the wealthy. At some point, they stop working for money. They start working for what money can buy them, and that's time with their family. Generational time for their kids and grandkids. Time is everything to them. And so if a wealthy person can stop working today and not need to work to live, and by live, I mean not die. If they can do that for months or years, that is the measure of wealth. When someone says, how wealthy are you? The real response isn't, shouldn't be, I'm a millionaire. The real response should be, I'm, I'm a six-month heir, or six-month heir, I'm a six-year heir. Hey, Jeff, how's it going, dude? Tell us how you're uh, doing it, what is going on? So when you, tell, up, Jeff? When people, when you tell people how wealthy you are, you should, you should bend their- Jeff, what's up, buddy? <laughs> you should bend their mind and answer in a time measurement. I'm six weeks well, six weeks wealthy. Now, the, that means that in the, it made sense when I was talking to uh, rural Haitians who, for all measures, are near the bottom cast of the world in terms of poverty. And when you ask them, what is poverty? The answer I got one time is, is I don't know about wealth and poverty. I know that if I don't go out and hustle today, someone in my family or community dies tomorrow. This is below paycheck to paycheck, which is a two-week measurement. How wealthy are you? Well, I'm, I'm two weeks wealthy. That means, okay, I've got what it takes. And if I stop working now, I'd at least get a check in two weeks. I mean, says, well, I'm not wrong. Jeff, dude, you know, I've never met Jeff, but this dude always got the friggin' zings and he's got good zings. Like this is like a troll, but it also makes you giggle. There, you just could also be high on the hog right here too. This guy's like my Lambo, the fuel for my jet. That, that just eaten up in six minutes, yeah, son. That's right. He only has six minutes and he only has six minutes for jet for takeoff. So he can only like, go up and come down. That's it. I mean, let's go Leafs. Okay. I don't know what y'all, this just sounds like some Canadians to me. Is, is, They're is, talking is, about is the maple leaves. Hockey. Yeah, hockey. This is hockey? Okay, so we got some Grant, you've never sound more Floridian in your life. I gotta there, say. There are hockey teams in Florida. I know, There's but Grant clearly doesn't know. <laughs> Where's the lightning at? Tampa. Tampa. Right here? Yeah, well, wait, think, where, where are you right now? Is he messing with us? What are you talking about? They, they won the Stanley Cup like a couple years ago. What are you talking about? That, that's the big one, right? Get out of here. Dude, I, dude he plays, man. I can't even. I can't even. Let's go surfing. Let's, yeah, okay. Let's, let's, let's go surfing. I'm telling you. What is this? Go Habs, go. I don't even know what that means. What's a hab? I don't know what a hab is. What's a hab? He's going to have to break Hockey, that down. Hockey yeah. lingo. No, anyways. Hockey, it is a, it's a, yeah, it's an acronym for hockey abs, or it's an abbreviation for hockey abs. Hockey. And you can't tell under the, under the puff, you know? You can't tell under the puff. But no, to your point, yes, like, uh, you know, poverty, most of the world is living in poverty and that measurement is how long they can go until they find their next hustle, street hustle, where they pull home f- uh, five bucks that day, 10 bucks that day. Um, and do you live under <laughs> a rock? No, I live in the sun and sand and shore line. <laughs> Jeff, my Jeff, friend. 
Jeff is not far off because the answer is no, I live in Florida, which. Oh, the same. <laughs> it's about, it's about I live on a sandbar called Florida. Yeah, when That's you look hilarious. when you look at the map, it's like the the frozen tundra is New England, and then Florida's just under a rock. I want to know how Montreal Canadians get dubbed the Habs. The Habs, like that's that's definitely an interesting. The Leafs, there. I get the I get the go Leafs, but I don't know what the Habs. Yeah. <laughs> um, I actually I, I want to pivot if we can, uh, please. I'm going to share with you guys a tweet. I took a screenshot of it and I shared it with some people at the, at the organizational work corps. We're constantly talking about the market. Um, it says breaking prosecutors are telling lawyers connected to SBF or Sam Bankman free that a uh, fraud investigation, the, the case is so sprawling that it could exhaust resources of the Southern district, Southern district court of, you know, Southern oh. district of New York city, which is like our, premier thing right that's what billions the show billions is based off of um because it includes potential bribery campaign contribution violations market manipulation on top of theft and fraud so what they're basically saying is it is so deep it may exhaust some of the best legal resources that the united states has because that's how sprawling it is well, um, this is saying they, they've also got to pull in internal investigations, which is its own, and that could go on for a decade, right? Yep. Um, so are, so who is Charles Gasparino? And is he like teeing us up for a big disappointment where they're like, we're just going to put this guy in jail for five or 10 years and let this guy? He's a Fox, so I looked at, he's like a Fox kind of political analyst, uh, news analyst. He's just a, you know, he's just a political analyst. I'm going to use air quotes. He's just one of us. He's a speaking head. He's a talking head. He's out there sharing his stuff. But I just saw that and I was like, that is just so crazy because it, that it is points nuts. to like the Southern District of New York has taken down Trump and he's had like 20 year long, you know, frauds with some of his real estate in upper state where he said it was worth more. So we get cut down in his taxes like they can. They're the go to to take down people. Right. So if they can't deal with Sam Bankman Freed, um, it points to many things. But one of them is just that this thing was so out of control. Um, they also showed that in the year in 2022 per month, what FTX spent on food was $26,000 monthly, $26,000. He's got to get their protein shakes. Have you seen his guns? No. Oh my God, dude. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna read the comment. I'm gonna read the comment. You see what Jeff says? The original settlers of Quebec were the habitants. Uh, the term "habs" is an abbreviation of "les habitants." The term dates back to the 17th century and refers to the settlers of New France, known as Quebec. While the Canadian franchise is very old and is significantly younger than the term that now refers to it. I've never heard of that. I grew up playing hockey. I played for 10 years of my life. What? Where? But I don't know about habitants. What do you mean hockey? Really? Yeah, like, bro. where do you get enough ice? Are to you play allowed hockey? to play football and hockey? Is is that a thing? You guys, you guys realize I'm in Massachusetts. I can like see Jeff. Like they're like right there. Like, I it's guess twenty eight degrees out. Wow. I, 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 may, I may have to go look at the map. At the map. I don't know. Massachusetts. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, th- this is Web3 and its existence completely disconnected I, I, from our you, geographical you guys so, you guys, reality. You guys, you guys absolutely kill me. Anyways, Alan, the funny Allison, what's up? Terrible. Makes me matter every day I hear. Okay, we got a quick yeah, reporter. Seriously. We don't want to chase Allison away. 
yeah, we we brought up some we brought up some stuff, but uh, yeah, no, I skate really well, so there's that. Uh, and Jeff, Jeff just laughs at the whole situation. I'm sure that's of Le Habitant, if I'm saying that right. Who actually speaks French here? Uh, uh, I me. don't, but that's Amine laughing at Jeff. Oh, that's Amine <laughs> laughing at Jeff. Got it. Yeah. So what were so you brought up F FTX and you brought up this ridiculous tweet from a knock a Fox correspondent, which I'll give you a pass, but you only get one. For bringing it over <laughs> for for. That's like adding Wikipedia as your reference in a, in a, in like a college paper. Like, <laughs> you know what, you yeah. know what, it wasn't, it wasn't Fox. It was chat. It was chat GPT. Okay. <laughs> so, so where are you going with this? Do you think that this is indication they're going to like cut this case short? No, what I just wanted to share it because I think it points to the fact that Whatever SBF did was so big and so intricate. That's a how he was able to kind of get away with it for as long as he did. I think the market was also a favor to him. Um, if the market doesn't go down, he may have actually been able to to keep this on going because, like the Ponzi scheme that it was, maybe more people sign up for FTX and he just has more liquidity to take out and give to Alameda or play around in his own sandbox. So for me, it just kind of like points to the fact that this isn't something that is cut and dry. And the things that SBF did when you have an exchange a centralized exchange and you run your own token that you can just create out of thin air. Yeah. It is a serious issue. And I don't think that the current authorities know how to engage with that. Um, I think being a blockchain investigator and trying to figure out how a case works, if you need to learn, you need to know how to, you know, play around the blockchain. Like they've probably never looked at why can't I think the name of it? ETH connect ETH network. What's it called? ETH. What does it do? Oh, it's, it's where you go look at all the Ethereum uh, exchanges. Etherscan. Etherscan. Yeah. I spend time on Etherscan looking at my like NFTs, trying to figure out who owned them and then what, you know, how much they had. Why did they sell it? You know, like, do they have a lot of ETH? Is this just a flip? Like, how did I get it? And so they probably have no idea how this works. You know, I think the current financial system, system it's like, oh, you know, you messed up, Grant, you messed up, Jay Grant. I'm going to get a subpoena, go down to your bank, pull all your records. This is on a completely different thing because he was using an air token to just create money out of thin air. So yeah. I guess my point is, I think it's a whole new level of fraud waiting on the Amazon documentary, waiting on the book. It's going to be ridiculous. Um, it's kind of like Bernie Madoff, as Allison is saying, um, you know, and that's how that's when and how he crashed. And that only happened after the 2008, 2009 financial crisis, because basically people said, you know what, we want our money back. And everyone came and ran on the bank or ran on Bernie. And he was just left out because that's how Ponzi schemes work. So I wanted to share it to basically bring it back around to crypto um, and, and yeah. just say that I think things that are happening right now in crypto, uh, like this SPF thing, I don't think is good for crypto. Prediction. I, I don't think it's good either. I think this, the series from Alameda, Three Arrows and, and FTX and beyond. <clears throat> and ultimately what we're talking about, and I mentioned this on a previous show, leverage is the thing, not the crypto, not even the rug pulls. From a dollar perspective, there's always a degree of rug pulls. The leverage and the abuse of leverage with centralized exchanges is the thing that collapses. I believe the damage these have done is irreparable from a DeFi standpoint. And I believe, I'm calling it now, over our time, we will see crypto diverge. DeFi will be massively regulated or go completely underground with, with, de with true DEXs. Sexes are going to go away and get regulated. Dexes are going to go underground. Go ahead, Jared. Yeah, I want to push back, though. I want to say that I think that this happened because it was a centralized exchange and because you saying. had some ego, okay, to create it. Because 
what I've seen and what many people are saying is this is actually a great thing for decentralized finance because that wasn't where the problem happened. When everything is running just through the blockchain and on smart contracts, that's not where the problem happens. The problem happens when you have a human intervene and have the ability to pull money out and create basically air tokens. Um, so I actually think that I actually want to I, I want to say I think the opposite is going to happen. Well, not the opposite. I think the centralized exchanges will all disappear. And I heard Michael Saylor talk about this last night. And he was like, look, the, the Coinbase, Binance, if they don't get their stuff together, they're going to be wiped out. And they're going to be wiped out by who we already have. We already have J, uh, Chase. We already have Fidelity. We already Agreed. have Bank Agreed. of America. Agreed. We already have these names, already have all these people. And all they need to do is offer a, offer a quasi-decent product. And everyone already has their on-ramp and they can turn their dollars into Bitcoin. Yes. That's one. And those things are already highly regulated and they already know how to play with the regulators. Yes. One. And then I think DeFi or decentralized finance is going to continue and only grow and really prop up a lot of the economies in the world that have really, really shitty currencies. Because the second you can take and you can hold, and you're in Argentina, right? And you can hold Bitcoin in a wallet and you can hold digital dollars or USDC or even a CBDC. We could talk about the merits of that. And you can take your Argentine pesos that you get paid in and turn it into a CBDC or USDC or a BTC. The Argentine pesos cease to exist. So I think DeFi is only beginning. Um, and we got, we got a bunch of comments. I'll read out some comments and throw it back to you guys. Um, BM versus SBF. They need, they indeed look alike. Uh, yeah, There's very Madoff. Exactly. Exactly. Oh. Very Madoff. Uh, and then Jeff says, regulation isn't a bad thing. The rules need to be fair for all. I have no problem with regulation. I think regulation is acceptance. It may not yeah. be great for people. People will say it's government overreach. If you want mass adoption, you have to be, for me, a proponent also of regulation. It's the only way yeah. this thing works. Yeah, and, and I would say that um, my, my, when I say it's an irreparable damage for crypto DeFi, what I mean is there will not be much new liquidity because of reputational damage done. They will go to the chases, which is great. And I do believe people will play in the crypto pool. But as soon as we make the pivot to USDC, I believe the public currency face, aside from Bitcoin, maybe Stellar, maybe some technologies, but the currency use case will largely dissipate nearly entirely in the next so many years, aside from Bitcoin. Um, I believe that it will basically get absorbed into the story of the USDC because there's no new liquidity. I believe there will be a thriving underground DeFi market for those who get it, but new liquidity, forget about it. I, I think that it's gone. And I think what you're saying is true about institutions. I believe a lot of people's money is just going to stay there. It's safer. We understand them. And that is an illustration of what I've been saying on how the crypto tech gets absorbed into its relative or relevant industries and largely goes away. I think Ethereum, Cardano, Polkadot, I think they'll stay around in, in the headlines as a tech stack, but simply to facilitate dApps and facilitate uh, these other technologies and NFTs. NFT story will stay around too, though. I think that that story will stay around as well. Jay, any, any hot takes before we wrap uh, up? We're well, at the top I, of the I, hour. I'll, I'll push back on what Jared said a little bit. I was thinking that I don't know if the sexes, the centralized exchanges and the banks sort of fall away. I think more likely what's going to happen is they buy up the DEXs. And so... The DEXs or the sexes? The, they, the, well... And who's they? The banks? The banks the, the, buy the, the banks and the centralized exchanges, like the, um, the fiat exchanges. Finances, Coinbase. Like a New York Stock Exchange. Okay. Buys up these 
uh, decentralized exchanges and then put it in, in air quotes because they're not all decentralized, right? Um, but they, they basically buy up these crypto exchanges and uh, they just continue their, their monopoly just with, with new companies that they own. Like we've seen other big companies do in the past, right? Yeah, so you're talking about like, and just to clarify, so I'll ask a question then, uh, Jerry, you can tackle this or go through some of these uh, comments before we dip out of here. Um, you're saying that the institutions that are established will buy up swaps and decentralized swaps for the tech and just get their transaction fees as another feature set. I, I agree that I agree there will be a wave of that, but that will further push the true believers of crypto. Um the true believers of crypto, it will uh, it will push them even further into the corners. So I say, I think you'll see a wave of it, and then it'll go away, and then we'll recede into the Uniswaps of the world and and those sorts of things, the pancake swaps and the Sunday swaps of the world. We'll kind of recede over there. But I believe Chase will buy up the tech because they'll realize I could just buy the swap and get millions in transaction fees and just leave it alone and rebrand it. Uh, and I hope they don't rebrand it because the fun kind of the manga look of some of these true swaps actually is their appeal and chase looks like a freaking institution with a thumb up its butt so yeah chase um, looks like a suit yeah um, yeah it does go ahead so i so we actually got some stuff here and maybe we can hang out a little bit longer we are normally when we when we sign Please. off but we got some we got some good comments here so jeff says serious question what happens to a country's infrastructure when money is taken out of the economy on a mass scale Jeff, what I think you're asking is what happens when, for example, in the hypothetical I gave, when Argentinians, all Argentinians have a digital wallet and they can take their Argentine peso in, in real time when they get paid, turn it into a USDC or a CBDC, basically a stable coin and or Bitcoin or Ethereum. I have no idea because the story in my head is in the fiat world, if we're just thinking of cash and we're not on the digital system that we're on, it would take a long time for all Argentines to move their actual physical pesos and like go to Uruguay and exchange it. You know, uh, you just couldn't do that, right? Like you can't sell your real estate, get a bad bundle of cash and walk around. I and mean, I guess on some theory you could. It's a really good question. And I'm going to dive in deeper and look at this because inflation, one of the biggest things that's happened in Latin America, and I just use that as a salient example, um, Venezuela 20 years ago was one of the richest countries per capita, mm -hmm. uh, definitely in Latin America. And now it's mm -hmm. the poorest. If yeah. not, it's up there with Haiti and Guatemala. And that mm -hmm. is all because of currency devaluation. Uh, mm -hmm. They were a petro state and it basically got out of hand. When Chavez died, things went belly up, et cetera, mm -hmm. et cetera. But more than 2 million, I think, Venezuelans have come over the Colombian border and now living in Colombia. Here nor there, a lot of money has left. Right. And the story in my head would be, first of all, that the, 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 what the amazing uh, story in my head is, uh, it's a buddy of mine. <laughs> it's unbelievable. It just completely throw me off and I'll share everyone what has just been said here. Uh, yeah, but the story yeah. in my head is that first, the currency would just absolutely fall through the floor, Jeff. Uh, and there would be a mass exodus of people as people look to basically find work and get away from an unstable currency. That I just was agree. What I, I have to disagree. Oh. If they're, if okay. they're part of modern, modern, uh, modern money theory. These things are completely decoupled. And, and the, the point of MMT, as I understand it, and I stand to be corrected by any pros out there watching, mm -hmm. is that the what goes on with modern money theory is completely disconnected from other functions of government and economy. And if it's taken out, then they, they just ask themselves a the question, do we need more or not? What is the value? What is the purchasing power? How are people purchasing? And we either print more or we don't. Is it any different than when they pull cash out of a country's currency 
more than normal. And that was my real question to Jeff. Jeff, are you posing a hypothetical where that when you say on a mass scale, it already happens on a mass scale with the America's central bank and other central banking countries, but do you mean a more massive scale? And if you mean a more massive scale, I don't see pragmatically a public populace accepting an alternative cryptocurrency that's truly decentralized. Uh, just in terms of pragmatics and human nature, I, they want security. And I don't see that it happening on a more massive scale, unless, unless like you're describing, Jarrett, a, a, a country collapses and it's beginning to a collapse and then there's a flight of money into crypto and Bitcoin, and then it just exacerbates and accelerates the, 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 the spiral, the value of that cash. But that would be a rare circumstance. Yeah, I was, Grant, this is a good, it's a good that you're asking for lit, maybe a little bit more just, you know, uh, clarification there, because I was just using crypto as a really easy, low-hanging example, as it says, not crypto bros. Um, but I think Jeff's question is really, it's a great one. And yeah. Jeff, maybe you can refine that and get dive deeper and maybe even say in this hypothetical, if this were to happen, what would happen to a country? Um, so. Because we've seen when there is mass inflation uh, and or I should say mass devaluation of a currency, people leave that country. They go and they look for other opportunities in, in uh, you know, currencies that are just going to be stronger, right? Yeah. That are going to hold yeah. better over even time. So there's some other stuff here. Uh, Jeff, two challenges regulation is how to handle innovation versus regulation, also regulation versus competition. I want to put a pin in that one. We should come back to that on the next episode because that is phenomenal. And Jeff, um, and Jeff says it isn't a new dilemma either, but it is a valid one that happens all the time. And we're seeing this now play out in crypto. So we can unpack that another time. Exactly. And Sergio says regulation is positive for crypto because you can pay taxes using it, which leverages the value of the asset. This is true. I like that point. And I think the farther you get in your financial journey, wherever you are, the more you can handle and play with taxes and see it as a plus and not a negative, the closer you are to something. Um, uh, Daniel Rivera says, WTF is crypto. Clearly he knows Grant. He says, real question. If your country's collapsing and you have currency, why would you pick crypto over real estate? A lot of wealthy Chinese people are buying in South America and America due to those countries being more stable. Yeah. Um, you can't take, you can't take real estate with you. Right? So yes, the Chinese, the Chinese buying real estate, for example, it's happening a lot in Medellin, uh, and Bogota and, you can't like, th this is actually a really good example, right? The Chinese may not actually be able to hold cryptocurrency, meaning like if the government found out they had Bitcoin, they may get in like serious trouble, but the government will say, yeah, go ahead and go buy, uh, you know, real estate in Colombia. So I think the Chinese example is a tough one just because I do think their state would be so crushing if they were found to be holding crypto. And it's apples to oranges a little bit, because when you mention mm -hmm. wealthy Chinese people, first off, it seems like there's a lot of them because there are. There are a lot of wealthy Chinese people who in a communist state have gotten emoluments and have a ton of cash and all of them kind of know the grift system. They got to get it out of that country in an asset class. I don't think that they're moving their money to South America and America due to the country's uh, devaluing of their currency, but being more stable from a political perspective. When you compare that to a country collapsing, you're talking about the masses. And I don't, I believe that the masses aren't as mature of investors as wealthy Chinese people. And so if you have, for example, the Ukraine, you have a crazy amount of what's going on in the Ukraine, a crazy amount of refugees going to other countries. They're moving their money, not into real estate. Why? They don't know the real estate market. They don't have the time or the capital to go hunting. And what's a good investment in another country? And 
No, they just literally need to pack up their currency. And for them, it might be the tens of thousands of dollars instead of the millions of dollars that these wealthy Chinese people do when they actually move their money. And real estate just makes more sense because they have a vested interest. They might even get citizenship in that country. But for other people, with other people fleeing and the masses fleeing, they just want it portable and mutable and good anywhere they go. So crypto kind of becomes a ultra lightweight gold to pay the border guard. If yeah. that makes any sense. So I think we have to compare apples to apples, but it's a mature question. Thank you, Daniel. Uh, and then real quick, just because we love him and he's endeared all of us. If you guys want to check it out, go check out Jeff Bogensberger. He's speaking on Impact Down on LinkedIn in 30 minutes. He's an intelligent guy with a lot of stuff. Daniel says, gotcha. Uh, just curious. I love it. I miss you seeing your face, Daniel. I hope you're doing well and I hope your family's doing well. Ja- Jared. You want to do a quick shout out and wrap its home, son? <laughs> yeah, we're a little late. So uh, my shout out is to you guys for holding it down last week. Um, I was not feeling well. So thank you so much. I actually, I really enjoyed watching the episode. So maybe I'll just take some weeks off and just watch you guys. It was pretty good. Um, but if you're watching, go ahead and follow us on LinkedIn. Uh, where, where are we? LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube at Not Crypto Bros. We'll be back next Tuesday at the same time, 3.30 Eastern. And please go ahead and continue to leave us these questions. I really liked um, Sergio's question. And I think maybe we'll come back to that next week because I thought it was great. Uh, And Daniel, you know, the geo arbitrage of buying real estate in South America or, you know, is something I'm doing. So reach out. Please, please reach out. Um, Good question. Jeff, thanks so much. Everyone, thanks so much. We will see you next Tuesday. Have a great one, everybody. Peace, y'all.